At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, warmer Love Welcome to Love Las Vegas for Coach and Soups with myself, Greg Ips Peters. And now part of the Beeson Family Podcast, we've got an excellent podcast for you guys. Joining me in segment number two is going to be Rob Donaldson. He does such a tremendous job with his show slash podcast, Rob's Best Bets. Go to YouTube.com slash Rob Donaldson to be able to check it out as he's going to be joining me to take a look at what we've all got on this Sunday. We're going to be breaking down some games. few things that stood out to him from Saturday. Were there some surprises? Were there some to the positive or the negative? And also just a theme that he's seeing in terms of some of these teams that they unexpectedly have been able to rise up in the college basketball ranks and the fact that they've got a little bit of a target on them and I should be handicapping that. So we're going to be diving in on that and so much more with Rob in segment number two in the final segment. Going to get you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Sunday as we hit some bank shots. If you do have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you have one of two ways to be those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at GNN underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters CM, they mean does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Did not get in any Twitter slash X questions today, but we had a really fun day of college basketball on Saturday. Let's recap as much as we can, try to find some trends, and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game through yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Now, with 145 games from Saturday, it's hard to recap all of them, but... And said, let's take a look back at some of the juicier ones that we did find in Kentucky. They were able to get the job done, and they got an 87-85 road win over Florida as a very slight underdog for Kentucky. They just continued to roll with this offense, and this was despite the fact that they went just 5 of 20 from three-point range in this game. Kentucky, by the way, now 9 and 4 against the spread. Florida 5-8 and 1, but for Kentucky, man, that was able to lift them over the top. How about Trey Mitchell being able to get a double-double? 12 
points, 10 rebounds. And on top of that, Antonio Reeves chipping in there, 19 points. But Reed Shepard off the bench, 14 points, 5 rebounds. One of three from three, off night for him, but for Florida, despite the fact that they were able to win the rebound battle by a count of 43-40, to 40, costly for them, they lost the turnover battle by a count of 11-9. Kentucky looking very stout. They go on the road as the old spot of the unranked home team versus the ranked road team. The unranked home team being the favorite typically works out very well for that home team. Did not in this one. Kansas got a big giant scare from TCU, but they're able to lift themselves. They're able to get the job done 83-81 to 81 outright. Against the spread, a little bit of a different story. As for TCU, they go 8 of 21 from 3 point range. They were catching between 9 and 9.5 points, so got there very easily. But the way that Kansas wins this game, down low. TCU had a combined 28 rebounds. Hunter Dickinson and KJ Adams, the two of them, they were able to combine for 48 points and 21 rebounds. Kansas as a whole, they're able to reel in their 40 rebounds. And despite the fact that Kansas loses that turnover battle 18 to 9, they are able to get themselves a victory with Dickinson going 13 of 20 from the floor. So big for Kansas. They do need to figure out what they're going to be able to get moving forward out of some of the ancillary pieces like Nicholas Timberlake, who did have five points for the team, Johnny Furphy, guys like this. But Kansas, they're able to survive and they're able to advance with that big win there. We did see a little bit of a late upset on Saturday with Cincinnati. Yes, we are into Cincinnati. They go on to the road and they knock off BYU 71-60. to BYU, they are 11-2 against the spread. At the very least, they were. They're now 11-3 against the spread. So they're really getting things going. But the Cincinnati Bunch, now with Aziz Bendango back in the fold, they're able to do a relatively solid job down low as Bendango off the bench. 12 points, 10 rebounds for Cincinnati. They do win that rebound battle 45-36. to And you figured at some point BYU was going to have a little bit of a rough shooting performance. And when you make 13 threes, typically you don't think that that's the case, but that was 13 of 46 from three-point range as seemingly the only guy that could knock down a shot, Traven Nell, who was able to go for 27 points, 9 of 14 from three-point range. So you take him out of the fold, this team went with the rest of their guys, 4 of 32 from three-point range. Very good defense from Cincinnati as they're able to get that one done. You saw Colorado State as a ranked road team going on the road against the unranked Home Utah State Aggies. The Aggies, they get it done. 77-72, the final as for Colorado State. And so had Isaiah Stevens clicking on all cylinders. Did have three turnovers, but 21 points, 8 assists. But for Utah State, the way that they're able to get the job done, down low. Great Osabor. Well, he loved up to his aim. He was great. 20 points, 14 rebounds, 2 blocks in this one. For Colorado State, they lose that rebound battle by a count of 45-33. to 33. And also for Utah State, they do lose a turnover battle uncharacteristically. You did have Darius Brown have 5 turnovers in this game, but they still get it done. How about Texas Tech and what they were able to do on the road? They take it to Texas as Texas, in terms of college basketball standpoint, might not quite be back yet as Texas Tech, it does look like they're back. 78-67 to 67 the final end for Texas. They are now 4-10 and 10 against the spread as they go 7 of 18 from 3-point range, but Texas Tech, they were 7 of 15. Texas Tech wins the turnover battle, 14-9, and Dylan Mitchell, double-double for Texas. That was solid. 16 points, 11 rebounds, as Texas actually does win the battle down low on the glass, 38-27, to but the way that Texas Tech is able to get this one done, Pops Isaacs, I know that there's a lot going on off the court for him. On the court, he looked very focused. 21 points, and Joe Toussaint, 15 points, 5 boards, 5 assists, relatively good win for Texas Tech. And then Arizona, they continue to be one of your best against the spread teams in all of college basketball. 92-76, to 
73. They take down what has been a very good Utah team, and Arizona now 12-3 and against the spread. Added a little bit of a rough go of it against Stanford and Florida Atlantic, but this team has rebounded with going 10 of 18 from three-point range. Caleb Love along with Kishad Johnson both get to 20-plus points in this one. Arizona did lose the turnover battle 17-11, but you know what's a good way to offset that? Win that rebound battle. 42 to 24 as you just did not have what you were expecting out of Brandon Carlson. Just seven points, completely shut down by an Arizona team that we always talk about the offense with this bunch, but in terms of a defensive perspective, they're a top 30 team. Now, of college basketball, in terms of total possessions per game and the points allowed on a per possession basis, and then when it comes to teams that were undefeated going into Saturday, we did have a pair of them go down. James Madison, they lose to Southern Miss 81 to 71. I know that everyone was buzzing about Andre Carbell's triple double a few nights ago, this was a far more impressive performance from him than that triple-double because he didn't need 21 points to be able to achieve what he did in this one. 15 shots, still a few too many, but 15 points, 9 assists, 3 turnovers. That's actually a really good stack line, and he played really well in this one. James Madison, they went 2 of 17 from 3 point range. Part of it was good defense. Part of it was they just had an off night in general, and for James Madison, they actually do re- win the rebound battle 42-38 to with TJ Vickersaf chipping in their 14 points, 16 rebounds, but for James Madison, just not being able to hit those threes, that really took it out of them, and they go down for the first time, and not very often that you see a undefeated team at this point of the year being north of a 10-point underdog. We saw that with Ole Miss, and looked like it was for good reason. 90-64, to Tennessee just completely mollywops Ole Miss. For Ole Miss, they go 6 of 16 from 3 point range, while Tennessee goes 11 of 30. But the man that was really able to put up a big one for Tennessee, Jonas Adu, 24 points, 10 rebounds down low. Tennessee completely punks Ole Miss on the glass, 47 to 24. Zakai Ziegler, a nice double-double in this one. Tennessee wins a turnover battle as well. And for Ole Miss, a team that had really been rocking and rolling from three-point range, they did still go 6 of 16 from three-point range, but they weren't able to get up those three-point shots. You saw Providence without their top scorer in Bryce Hopkins, at the very least, their second-best scorer from last season. Their top scorer had been struggling this season, and without a Providence, they don't get the win, but they get a cover against a Creighton team that all of a sudden they've been having some tough goes of it against the spread, 69-60 to 60 of the final as this is a Creighton bunch that if you take a look at their most recent few outings, they just have not been able to cover spreads as I believe that this team is now 1-5 against the spread in their last six with the lone cover being against Georgetown with Providence doing a nice job with Devin Carter being able to keep them in this game. 25 points, 10 rebounds for Creighton. They were able to get 21 points out of Trey Alexander and Ryan Kalkbrenner. Nice double-double, 22 points, 12 rebounds, and all in all, a decent showing here from Creighton. The offense certainly did have a little bit of a rough go of it, but they were able to bounce back and they were able to get a win but no cover and then this was a very glorious cover for Auburn they just completely took it to Arkansas in Bud Walton Arena one of the toughest places to play in all of college basketball by the way and I know that Auburn fans have come at me saying "Ah, we have a really tough home environment as well well apparently it's tough to knock this team off on the road as well 83 to 51 a massive statement here from Auburn 7 of 18 from three-point range for them after they had fallen short in their first road test of the season against Appalachian State. They put that to rest. They're now 8-6 against the spread, and this Arkansas team just not getting it going right now. They are 4-10 against the spread themselves. They go just 7-24 from distance, and for 
Arkansas. You think that their three-point shooting is bad? Well, you take a look at what they did from inside the arc. They went 11 of 34. The interior defense for Auburn was really good with G&I Broom cleaning up. 14 points, 8 boards, 2 steals. It's a really balanced Auburn team. One that won the turnover battle, 13 to 7. Won the rebound battle, 46 to 32. Just a throw about kicking there. And then if you're looking at the doldrum games, you take a look at UNC and Clemson and neither of these teams could get it going. But North Carolina on the road, 65 to 55 winners over a Clemson team that has been able to cover quite a few spreads as far this season, but for Clemson, 1 of 18 from 3-point range. My goodness gracious. You knew that there was probably going to be a little bit of a drop-off with their 3-point shooting. This was stark. This was really, really stark. As and Ian Shefflin chip in their 16 points, 11 rebounds, but Armando Bicot, he still gets his 14 points, 16 rebounds. So, that was not so fun to say the least for Clemson. And for Marquette, they go on the road and they take the loss against Seton Hall. 78-75 to as Seton Hall goes 6-15 of from 3-point range. Marquette just gets completely lambasted on the glass. Seton Hall wins this battle 43-25. to And Jaden Bediaco just continues to be really good down low for the team. A transfer that comes in from Santa Clara. 11 boards, only 2 points, but he did exactly what the team asked him to. Now for Seton Hall, they probably want to clean up the 22 turnovers in this game. That was a little bit rough, but... Still, Seton Hall able to find a way to be able to get the job done. My DK network ready to pick, unfortunately, did not get the job done. We had the under in Wisconsin versus Nebraska. And these two teams through the first 30 minutes of the game were shooting north of 50% from three-point range. As Wisconsin went 13 of 26 from three-point range. Yeah, Nebraska go 12 of 26 from three-point range. Really tough to get it under when you have that. But Wisconsin winning cover 88 to 72. This is Wisconsin team has really been able to rise up recently and for Wisconsin can't expect that on a night in night out basis but they had Tyler Walchip in there 17 points 8 boards for Wisconsin they do win that rebound battle by kind of 32 to 26 they win the turnover battle 12 to 8 and Wisconsin right now looking like a well-oiled machine and then if you take a look at more of the against the spread Warriors thus far this season the top team against the spread thus far this season we're actually going to be looking at on Sunday that would be Minnesota at 13 and 1 against the spread but your second best team Cal State Northridge CSUN. They're now 12-1 against the spread. They take it to Hawaii, 76-66. This was a nip-and-tuck game very much early, but CSUN able to pull away in the final five minutes. CSUN, as a matter of fact, they were a home underdog in this spot, so they get it done outright on the money line, and for Hawaii, they fell in love with the three ball. They went 11-38 from three-point range. CSUN, they went inside. Three of seven from the three-point arc. Meanwhile, they go 25 of 30 at the free throw line to Sean Allen Eikens, 20 points. CSUN under the gentleman that comes over from the D2 ranks in Andy Newman. They just continue to get it going. 12 and 3 now. What a higher end. More teams should be looking at that. These guys at the D2 level, these guys know how to coach. And my goodness gracious, a very good start to the season there. How about Southern Illinois? Now 11, 2 and 1 against the spread. They take on their interstate foe in Illinois State. They pull away with late 71 to 64 as two and a half point favorites. They get it done. They've got Xavier Johnson, a top five scorer in all of college basketball. And Xavier Johnson was on it in this one. 26 points, goes four of seven from three, but he wasn't even the best three point shooter on his team. Trent Brown, six of seven from distance for a Southern Illinois team that blistered. 11 of 21 from three-point range. Now, Southern Illinois, they do lose the rebound battle, 31 to 28, and they can't expect to get these two guys to go a combined 10 of 14 from three-point range on the regular, but 
did a very solid job of being able to take care of the ball. Only 10 turnovers for them. Credit, credit is due. Illinois State, only 7 turnovers. But that hot 3-point shooting, that leads them to yet another cover and yet another win. High point, they have been a high point for your bankroll thus far this season. They're now 11-2-1 against the spread as for high point, they get the win, they get the cover against Gardner-Webb by a count of 85-76. This was a spread more than they neighborhood about 7.5 or so. And for Gardner-Webb, they have fallen on some tough times. By the way, they go 7-17 from 3-point range, but the defense, it has been a sieve thus far this season. And for high point, what was really the high point for them was being able to win the rebound battle 43-24 to and off the bench, 30 big points out Keza Gifa. Not very often that you get a 30-point scorer off the bench, but you were able to get that in this one along those lines as well. Another team has been able to do a solid job of getting it done is a team that we saw in the Big Sky versus Summit League Challenge. Montana, they're now 9-3 against the spread. They completely take it to South Dakota. The old Coyotes by a count of 82-63 to as Deshaun Thomas was able to chip in their 19 points. 13-30 of 30 from three-point range for this Montana team. They lose a rebound battle 34 to 38 but they win the turnover battle in South Dakota right now playing some pretty inefficient basketball as well and then another team has been very good against the spread has been South Carolina they are now 11 and 3 against the spread they get it done on their home floor against Mississippi State 68 to 62 as for South Carolina 11 to 23 from three-part range Tolu Smith has returned to the fold for Mississippi State. He had 13 points off the bench, but they still lost the rebound battle down low against the South Carolina team that legitimately going in this game didn't have a single guy registering north of five rebounds per game, but they do have a nice go-to scorer, Michi Johnson. The wonders that are being done right now in South Carolina, a team that we thought was going to be really bad. Well, I thought it was going to be really bad in the SEC. Got to give a lot of credit there. And then if you're looking at some of the teams that have been very demonstrative with regards to totals, Arkansas Pine Bluff was the only team going into the slate on Saturday that had yet to play an under. Their total was set well north of 160. As a matter of fact, I think that this reached north of 170 in some spots. 63-62, to 62, Arkansas Pine Bluff loses outright, and, well, they did not come close to this total. They went 7-28 to 28 from three-point range. You had a duo and Kyron Milton along with Rashad Williams combining for about 37-38 to 38 points entering into this game. They combined for 18 points. Uh, they do not come through on this one, and another team has been very demonstratively over. Did not get it done as well. Wofford entered in the day 10-1 to the over. 70-66. to 66. They do not get the over. The Wofford is able to cover the spread. They were catching 5.5 points, so they get there on that front, but this was a total of 149.5. Did not come anywhere close. As for Wofford, they only shoot about 29% from three-point range, 5-17. And to the credit of Wofford, they've been playing a little bit better on defense. Vontravius Wolbright, by the way, for the Western Carolina team that is now 13-2. and So credit where credit is due for them. 18 points, 14 rebounds. One of the best statutes suffers that you've never heard of. By the way, if you're looking at some of the totals for teams that we've already recapped, Florida now 10-3 and 1 to the over this far this season. Arkansas, 11 overs, 3 unders for them. USC has also all of a sudden become a massive over team. 12 overs and 3 unders, and they have been really bad against the spread this season and just straight up as they are now in 7. But they took it to Sanford, they got the over, and they got the win and covered 93-79. to As for them, they go... 14 of 25 from three-point range. Ronnie James off the bench did not give you too much with two points, but you know who did? Isaiah Collier, Boogie Ellis. Boogie Ellis, 6 of 8 from three-point range, 22 points. Collier, 26 points. 
three of four from three-point range. And Stanford loses this game by 14 points while going 13 out of 22 from three-point range. Not often that you see that you did have Michael Jones be able to chip in there 23 points, but for Sanford, they lost the turnover battle 18-6, and and that ended up costing them the game. If you're looking at some of your top under teams in all of college basketball, Dartmouth unders are the gift that keeps on giving. One over and 11 unders this year, and they get completely destroyed by Penn, 80-51, to single-handedly by themselves keeping this total under. It was a total of 134.5. Their 51-point turd was what kept this game under as... For Dartmouth, 9 of 31 from three-point range. Penn goes 14 of 25 from three-part. Dartmouth, just a bit of sadness at this point. And, well, that was an under that was able to cash for you. Maris Katiz be a good under team. We're going to be taking a look at them on Sunday. And then another team that's been very good to the under is Providence. We recapped them a little bit earlier. They were able to bang through an under. They now have played three overs to 12 unders thus far this season. But an unexpected surprise out there in the Southland. How about Texas A&M Corp? Christie. They have now played just two overs to eight unders. They keep this one under against Incarnate Word. Total was 149 and a half, 75 to 65. Corpus Christi has a one and a half point road favorite. They get the job done in this one as they hold Incarnate Word to 19 of 44 from the floor. And you're wondering, oh, why did they only go 19 of 44 from the floor? Incarnate Word had 20 turnovers. So they had more turnovers than made buckets for Corpus Christi. Very much a little bit of a new look team, but Still a team that's able to generate quite a few turnovers. They did so in this one. Another good team to the under and a team that's been really good to fade this far this season. How about our good friends UCLA? UCLA now four overs to 11 unders and they lose outright on their home floor against Cal by a count of 66 to 57. UCLA honestly not playing bad defense. They did allow Cal to go 8 of 20 from three par range and Fort Osamek 13 points, 14 rebounds. But for UCLA, 2 of 10 from three point range. You were able to get 20 points out of Sebastian Mack, and he is seemingly the only guy on the roster right now that's able to score buckets. So that was not too great, to say the least. And if you're taking a look at teams that have not been making you money thus far this season, we've recapped some of the best teams against the spread. Right now, the worst team against the spread is Detroit. And Detroit has as many wins as Greg Peterson, and I am not a Division I college basketball team. They lose 84-61 to to UW-Milwaukee, and at this point, the last few games, they haven't even come close. For UW-Milwaukee, you have B.J. Turner off Freeman, coaches 4-15, with 11 turnovers off the bench. He very nearly pulled the triple-double of turnovers as he had 15 points, 9 rebounds, and 11 turnovers. So that was absolutely hilarious. But Detroit, they managed to shoot 32.5% from the floor. They're so without their top scorer in Jaden Stone. And they have 15 turnovers of their own. They lose a rebound battle, 53-34. to Just a really sad and pathetic team. At this point, and then you've got Arkansas Pine Bluff, who I recapped a little bit earlier, played their first under of the year. They're now two and eight against the spread. The old Pacific Tigers, they were able to cover a spread against San Francisco a few days ago, so yay, verily there, but they're back to their ways of getting lambasted. They are now three and 12 against the spread against Portland as an underdog of about 10 and a half, 11 points. They lose by kind of 78 to 64 as for Portland, they hold them to six of 26 three point shooting. Not like Portland let the world on fire themselves, 11 of 36 from three point range, but this specific team has no semblance of rebounding whatsoever. They get pounded on the glass, 44 to 30. So that was not so great. To say the least. You know who's not been so great with regards to scoring the ball? That'd be Mississippi Valley State. Entering into the day on Saturday, they were averaging 
points fewer per one earned possessions than the next least efficient D1 offense, and they score 51 points against Alabama State. They actually covered the spread because they were catching 10 and a half as, I mean, this was one of the biggest eyesores of the year. 54 to 51, Alabama State goes on the road in a game where nobody wanted to win, and somehow, someway, they won. For Mississippi Valley State, my goodness, 16 turnovers on 17 made buckets. This game was slowed down to the crawl. It was so sad to watch, so that was some relatively rough viewing as well. And then your second least efficient team on offense, well, they didn't do much better themselves. Compensate. 53 points. I actually covered the spread in this one as well because Delaware State was a 10.5 point favorite. 55 to 53. We really saw some eyesores in the SWAC and the MEAC on Saturday as for compensate they go 5 of 16 from 3 point range. 18 turnovers on 22 made buckets and for Delaware State 17 turnovers on 19 made buckets. So Man, that was not great to say the least. Says Martez Robinson is 13 points. Let all teams in this one. So, yeah, you might want to be looking at some better games. As for IEPUI, Old Ewe, Peewee, they were not in action, but they are 3 and 10 against the spread. They have been team has been really lighting your money on fire but this is another team that's really lighting your money on fire. It's Old Dominion. I know that their coach and I believe it's Jeff Jones. He's right now been dealing with some health issues so you wish him absolutely nothing but the best but they are not looking their best as they get completely pounded by Arkansas State 90-75. to A once proud Old Dominion defense has just fallen off the face of planet Earth as for Arkansas State. They go 18-39 from 3 point range Arkansas State was able to have pretty much every one of their starters score 9-plus points. They win the rebound battle 42-37. to And for Old Dominion, right now they are just searching for answers as things have gone into the abyss for them. And then if you're looking at just a few other notable results that we did see on what was a very, very interesting college basketball Saturday, DePaul was able to get a cover. Hey, there you go for DePaul. 68-65. to It's about 6.5-point underdogs. They were able to get it done against Georgetown. This has been rough for Villanova, to say the least. I mean, like two weeks ago, went on the road. They were able to get an outright win over Creighton, and now they lose on their own floor, 81-71 against St. John's. The St. John's team that, by the way, is now 9-6 against the spread, so some credit there for St. John's. They go 7-16 from three-point range. I still feel like they haven't necessarily found their identity. It's just a bunch of parts in general out there on the floor, but for Villanova... Without Justin Moore, they need more. They go 6 of 28 from three-point range. So that was relatively brutal. In the Big Ten, things have been so interesting this year. In Indiana, they have not been able to rise up to say the least, but they do get the win 71-65 to against Ohio State. Ohio State just couldn't throw it in there. 7 of 27 from three-point range. Rodney Gale and Bruce Sorton want to combine 7 of 34 from the floor for 18 points. Good grief, as Ohio State actually wins the rebound battle 49-27, to but for Indiana, just four turnovers for a team that had been operating with about one and a half guards until Xavier Johnson came back in the fold, so that was entertaining, and Iowa has now scored at least 75 points in 28 straight home games. Rutgers has played like all but four of their games to the under, by the way, but this game goes over 86-77. to I don't know how and I don't know why, but Carver Hawkeye Arena has just superpowers for this Iowa team. You had Peyton Sanford chip in there 24 points. Iowa 7-14 from 3-point range. They win the turnover battle 16-14. They actually lose a rebound battle 46-36, but Iowa able to get a cover. They're able to get a nice win out there, and then in the ACC we saw a few random and strange results as well as 
Virginia, all of a sudden, the defense is starting to fail them a little bit. 76-60. They get completely pounded by NC State. NC State closes as a very slight favorite, but for Virginia, 5-15 from three-par range. They lose a rebound battle, 32-31. to They lose a turnover battle as well. Virginia had been doing a really nice job taking care of the ball. NC State, they have been one of the best teams in all of college basketball, not turning it over, and they were able to get the job done. You saw Duke win but not cover against Notre Dame. All of a sudden, Notre Dame as a home underdog in their last three games. They've been able to cover all three of them, so some credit there. 67-59, Notre Dame has become quite the under team as well as for Notre Dame. They go just 5 of 19 from three-point range with Marcus Burton taking 21 shots and putting up 18 points, so always fun to see that. And for Duke, this team has played a little bit of better defense under John Shire. They were certainly able to do a solid job of being able to hold it down there, as by the way, for Notre Dame, a 11 unders to 4 overs, but it was really Mark Mitchell that led this Duke team to victory. 23 points, 14 rebounds out of him, and I have to give a little bit of love as well to what we all saw in the Patriot League, as Navy has been one of your better under teams as far this season, but they lose to Colgate 80-72. to We saw a little bit of an explosion out there, but a gift that does keep on giving is seeing some really low-scoring games from the old Lafayette Leopards, as they get a road win 59-51 to against Boston U, 11 unders to 3 overs for Lafayette this far this season, and for Lafayette, just 5 of 19 from 3 power range. Boston U, they go 8 of 26 from 3 at 8 of 27 from within the arc. And for Boston U, they lose a turnover rattle by a count of 14 to 11. So we saw a lot in college basketball. Like I said, I unfortunately don't have enough time to be able to recap all 145 games. That would be quite the Herculean feat. But if you're taking a look at what we've all seen in college basketball over the last seven days, it has been overwhelming and it's been a lot of favorites. Favorites sitting at about 52.6%. 162, 146, and 6 against the spread. And home underdogs have been having a rough go of it. 45, 49, and 1 against the spread. Meanwhile, the over, 164, 145, and I believe that we've had four pushes along the way. If you take a look at the entirety of the college basketball season, overs are still hitting at 51.4%. 1,235 overs, 1,067 unders. That is a hit rate of 51.4%. Favorites hitting at about 50.8%. 12-14, 1,176-38 1, against the spread. And home underdogs still 285, 283, and 11 against the spread. But it's been a little bit of a rough go of it there. So that's what we're seeing in college basketball right now. And that's what we got on a jam-packed Saturday. Now let's take a look forward at Sunday and just try to get a little bit of a better feel as to what we did see on Saturday. And some of these teams with a target on their back that are coming up short. We're going to be talking about that next with our good friend Rob Donaldson here on Good Scoop Seats with myself, Greg Eats Peterson, now a part of Peace and Family Podcast. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. 
Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited time 11 month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus, it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash CV for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. And we're back here in Lovey, Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg H. Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. It is always great to be joined by this man. It's Rob Donaldson. He does absolutely excellent work with his show slash podcast, Rob's Best Bet Show. You go to youtube.com slash Rob Donaldson. You're able to find all of his impeccable work there as this man does an absolutely amazing job taking a look at college basketball. I know he's done a good job all season long in terms of college football, down to just one game now, so relatively slim pickings on that front. But when it comes to Rob, he's always doing a tremendous job finding a lot of value, and you're able to follow him on Twitter, slash X, over at RobDFB altogether. And Rob, always great to have you more, my friend. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me on, Greg. And obviously, when you have 140 college basketball games on one slate, you know, shout out to the NCAA schedule makers for, you know, putting 14 on Friday and then 140 the very next day. Can't really explain it, but hey, you know, at least it's a lot of action and, and a lot of a lot of games you can kind of take a look at there. If you can't find something to bet on a college basketball Saturday the next few weeks, you're probably <laughs> the most elective better on the face of planet Earth and or you're not handicapping this because, my goodness, there is no shortage of options here. And that does lead me into my initial question of how do you take a look at things for the next, like, two or so months of conference play in terms of just mapping out how you handicap these games. Because I do think that if you try to do it all the night before north of 140 games for these Saturdays, it's just very much a defeatist effort. I do think that there's maybe a little bit of value for some that if you're in a little bit of a crunch for time, 
maybe just focus on that Saturday card and you decide, you know what, we're going to take Friday off in order to prepare for 140 plus games on Saturday. I know that there's many different approaches. How do you go about this? Just because I personally do need a handicap for when it comes to these 140 plus game slates. 100%. And when you're kind of handicapping for, say, like a Saturday slate and it's on a Wednesday or Tuesday in the middle of the week, you know, I really like to look at just the high major teams and the high major matchups because they have the more accurate reporting in terms of injuries, suspensions, and you already kind of know what to expect from some of those atmospheres and kind of already know what those teams are have been doing all season long. So, those games are pretty easy to kind of just wrap around a bow on and have an idea of who you're going to be taking in terms of a side on Saturday. Some of these kind of more mid-major teams, say a team out in the Sun Belt or a team out in the Ohio Valley Conference, I definitely usually save those games until Saturday and have an idea of who I'd like to side with, but it definitely needs to have some prep when you're dealing with that much volume on one day. Oh, absolutely. And situation by situation is big, especially with a lot of these teams in like the Sun Belt, the Ohio Valley. They play on Thursday as well. And I do find myself in a scenario where I want to try to handicap these teams in which their last game prior to the weekend is like on a Tuesday or a Wednesday because they're not going to be playing until Saturday. Meanwhile, these teams that they play on like a Thursday. You get the random Ivy League back-to-backs as well. Those are the games that I personally do save for the back half as well. So I wholeheartedly agree with you there. And in terms of what we did see on Saturday, we did see a lot of rambunctious action. And was there a team or two from Saturday that either impressed you or maybe now you're a little bit more out on them based on what you saw? Now there's a lot of results that we saw and you're doing this as more of those results are coming through. I have noticed that Saturdays are very much front-loaded with regards to the AM, so we've got a lot of results already in the books. But that said, was there anything from Saturday that surprised you, whether that be to the positive or the negative? You know, I think we're starting to see now that conference play is kicking up that there are certain teams with a target on their backs that have never really had that target on their backs. And For example, James Madison, 10-point loss at Southern Miss in Hattiesburg. And then you look at Florida Atlanta going on the road at Charlotte. Their second time they've been upset in just the past week with Florida Gulf Coast happening last weekend as well. And even if you look at a team like Kansas, who narrowly escaped against TCU by, you know, the grace of the whistle, pretty much is how that game came out. You know, sometimes when these teams are targeted, everybody already knows that this is the matchup that the other program is living up for, you're going to get their best ball. And so you got to be really wary when you're laying north of, say, four or five points there. Yep, I do think that you need to be very alert of that. And we have been noticing a lot of these teams. They have been really trying to tighten up a little bit with that regard. And I do think that with a team like a four Atlantic, it's going to be so interesting because they're now in a new conference as well. And when it comes to conference play, we do have a lot of teams that are in a little bit of a different conference. Like BYU, for example, transferring on over to the Big 12. You now got Houston out there. They certainly took care of business against West Virginia. But how do you take a look at these conferences that now are a little bit more new look? They welcomed in a few different members because when it comes to conference play, you know a little bit more of what to expect in terms of the back history with regards to the backstory, everything like that. And now that we've got a lot of realignment, it does cause for some unfamiliarity with regards to some of these situations. I think each program has a little bit of a different outlook. And you brought up BYU. And I think BYU is a program that has had the infrastructure and has had the big matchups over the years where it's not going to be just a straight culture shock going into the Big 12. Once they step on to, you know, into Fog Allen Fieldhouse, 
that's going to feel like a different environment comparatively to what they've probably seen in the past. However, you know, there's certain teams that I think they're going to be in for a bit of a culture shock. And you look at Cincinnati as we're kind of recording this at about 7 p.m. Central time and it's a 9 p.m. tip. But when they're going into BYU, I think there's a good chance that they just get crushed because, you know, this is real. Like this glossy record that you have 11 and 2 gives you a little bit of warranted for a big time matchup and, and a lot of billing and you're stepping into a rambunctious crowd that's ready to go. I think that a team like Cincinnati could have a little bit of a downstretch here. Yeah, but I do think that that is going to be so interesting to take a look at. We saw Central Florida in their first game, the Big 12 going up against Kansas State. Well, that did not go as planned for them either. As joining me on the show, this is going exactly as planned because we just get great insights from our good friend Rob Donaldson right here on Coast to Coast Soup said, Rob, we took a little bit of a look back on Saturday and now conference play. It is very much real and it is coming to the forefront. But in terms of Sunday slate, we do have some pretty fascinating games. And I do take a look at this matchup in the Big Ten between Michigan and Penn State. And it's so unique because there's always a few Big Ten conference games that they play them at a neutral court. Why? I have no idea. But this is a game from the Palestra. So it is still in the state of Pennsylvania, but that said, with Penn State, they find themselves as right around three and a half point underdogs. So on this game is 154 with a pair of teams that have struggled very mightily recently. How do you take a look at a situation like this where typically you're able to fire up these home teams in the Big Ten, but you don't have a true home team with regards to this one, and you got a Michigan team that has lost a lot of games, but they've lost them to good competition, and a Penn State team that looks like a fish out of water right now in the Big Ten? Yeah, it's certainly interesting, right? Because both of these teams are probably going to be playing for the two last spots in the Big Ten Conference at this point, which is kind of crazy because last year, you know, Penn State was a tournament team and the year before that, Michigan was. When you're looking at this matchup and particularly the guard play, I think Ace Baldwin and Doug McDaniel kind of neutralize themselves, but I think Ace Baldwin maybe has a little bit of a leg up in terms of his defensive approach. And when you're kind of looking at how this game is going to be played, I think it's going to be played through the guards. So the fact that Penn State, you know, not at home, but in the state of Pennsylvania, in a arena that they're at least familiar with, you know, getting three and a half points, I feel like is far too many and far too much respect going to Michigan just for the branding purposes. I'm all over Penn State here. This will be something that I bet. I do think Ace Baldwin asserts himself early. And with Michigan, they looked like the greatest thing since sliced bread when they were three and oh and ever since then. <laughs> I believe that they have went three and eight, might be three and nine. So that has been relatively rough to say the least as joining me on the show. We do have our good friend Rob Donaldson right here on Cusco Soup say we've got a few teams that have either really surged or really struggled against the spread. I want to get your thoughts on them. First, let's take a look at IEPUI. They got the win against Detroit a few nights ago, but I said they've been one of the biggest money burners in all of college basketball. Now they're catching between 18 and a half and 19 and a half points on the road against Youngstown State. How do you take a look at a scenario like this, both with IEPUI and in teams in general that have been struggling against the spread? Because typically when I see a team that is struggling against the spread, I do want to try to back them a little bit more because I feel like a lot of betters are just like, oh, I'm done with this team. They lit my money on fire and everything like that. Normally in this scenario, I'd be leaning there. But with this IEPUI team, this is an exception where I watch them and it's just 
unsightly bad and I just can't get there with them. Yeah, I'm right there with you. When a team is struggling against the spread, but they have a competent, you know, offense, defense, or just a full profile of a team, I'm thinking, oh yeah, I want to be part of that resurgence against the spread record because obviously the books aren't just going to let you cash by fading a team all year long. But a team like IUPUI, who had kind of looked maybe a little bit better at the start of the year, picking up some wins early as compared to last year when it just wasn't even in the ballpark or realm of possibility for them to win a game. And then all of a sudden, you know, this last time out against Robert Morris, they go on the road and they lose by, I think, 50. So that just kind of shows you what kind of team and what kind of quality of team we're dealing with here. And then the other side, Youngstown State is coming off two straight losses and they're back at home in this matchup that they know that they just need to put a stomp on. I wouldn't want to be an IUPUI backer. (laughs) I wouldn't want to be an IUPUI fan ever. And I do think that Youngstown State wins by probably 20 plus here. Shout out Jacob Roach, just such a hearty soul. (laughs) I know that he's a producer of many fine gambling sort of networks. I know he's done a lot of good work at man. I'm sure that he is quite disturbed by what we've seen out of IEPY in recent years. And then on the flip side, we've got the best team against the spread in all of college basketball in Minnesota. Yes, Minnesota playing us of Maryland. And right now they're a two and a half point favorite. Totals 135 and a half. And typically when teams against the spread have this demonstrative of a record, they're 13 and one against the spread. It's a spot where I think to myself, all right, what comes up must come down, but I take a look at this scenario. Minnesota has a really good home court advantage, and this Maryland team away from home, their defense is just completely night and day. Their offense is completely different as well. I just don't trust Maryland on the road, and this is a number that is still short enough to where, even though Minnesota, I do think that they're going to suffer some against the spread losses, I don't think it starts here. Yeah, and you know, the past couple years, and even leading, I'm going back to the COVID year when fans weren't allowed in the stands, you know, the barn in Minnesota and Minneapolis has been kind of dormant. This was an atmosphere that over the years has been really lively and has been able to spark some upsets. Well, now these fans in Minnesota have something to believe in, and it's really coming to a head in this game on the heels of going on the road and pulling off a win at Michigan, which, yeah, Michigan, maybe not the most impressive team right now, but just from a brand notoriety standpoint, that's a massive win for this program and maybe a signal of a change of direction. I think Minnesota fans are going to be all up for this game. I think they're going to get ready to go for Maryland. And I think they put a stomp on and put a show on for those hometown fans. I'm starting to become a little bit of a believer in this Minnesota Golden Gophers team. Yeah, same here. They had that one really bad collapse against Missouri about a month and a half, two months ago, something like that. But past that, this has been a team that has been able to get the job done. And for Maryland, my goodness, can this team hit a three-point shot? Outside of the top 330 in terms of three-point shooting percentage. So that has been relatively disturbing as well. Joining me on the show, we do have Rob Donaldson. Does a great job with the show slash podcast, Rob's Best Bets. And he's joining me right here on Coast to Coast Soups. And then when it comes to the Sunday slate as well, another team that really stands out to me is this UMass Minutemen team going on the road, facing off against Dayton. Dayton is a nine and a half point favorite. And this is a Dayton team that is completely opposite of what we've seen in past years with regards to sort of the fortes of the team. They're still playing super duper slow, but Dayton is typically a team that they hang their out on defense, offense, Saints when Obi Toppin was there, a little bit more selective. 
This year for Dayton, they've been amazing on offense. They've honestly been not the world's greatest with regards to their defense. And I like the way that this UMass team has been playing. I'm not sure if you're willing to take the nine and a half with me on this one, but I feel like UMass has been getting quite a bit disrespected. And I don't think that bookmakers have made enough of an adjustment for how good of a job Frank Martin is doing. This is two teams that I really love and two teams that I've already backed quite a bit this season because I think Dayton is a great team under Anthony Grant's tutelage. And obviously that's just a program that has a good culture behind it when he's been at the helm. And then you look at Frank Martin and UMass. I mean, they've obviously turned a corner from last season. This is one of the better teams, I think, in the A-10, if not potentially the best team in the A-10. I think this is going to be a very big play-up spot for them. That said, this is UMass's only second time in a true road spot all season long. The first time they went on a true road spot was against Towson. They lost by 10. Dayton is a crazy environment, and this is a very good Dayton team. I would be weary about taking those nine and a half points because I feel like it's just too tempting. It makes too much sense to try to get that many possessions under your belt with a good team. But I think there's a really good chance that Dayton pours it on here with this Dayton team. They're going to be able to do a pretty solid job on offense. I do wonder how the big men of UMass are going to be able to fare in this one going up against Aaron Holmes, who I was surprised that he didn't go for the NBA draft last year. This guy has been relatively impressive, but have been liking what I've been seeing out of that NEC transfer and Josh Cohen as well. So that is going to be a fun one. And with regards to the slate that we do have for Sunday, it's not the biggest slate, but I think that it's a really fun slate. I know that you're a man out there in the Midwest, so I know you're going to get primed up for some relatively good Missouri Valley Conference action. Hey, we've got Chicago State in action as well. That's always a fun (laughs) time. But that said, is there any games that we have not brought up that you're going to be either betting or maybe you're not going to be betting yet, but you have your eye on them? Yeah, I'm taking a look at that Northern Iowa-Indiana State game, and just from a brand notoriety standpoint, this is a great game. Northern Iowa, obviously a team that under Ben Jacobson has been in the tournament several times. They've made some runs several times, and then Indiana State is a team that can just light it up. I think this is a top 25 team in all of college basketball, in my opinion, because you even look at that game that they lost against Michigan State. They went into, you know, Sparty's home and and played toe-to-toe with a team that is absolutely on fire right now. They didn't look phased. So when you're looking at this matchup in the McLeod Center in Northern Iowa, Cedar Falls, I do think that this venue has kind of lost some steam over the years for whatever reason. Northern Iowa hasn't been in the tournament since the 2015-2016 season under Ben Jacobson, and I think it's starting to dwindle a little bit every single year in terms of the fan excitement for the program and the success. And I think that's a kind of just setting up for an Indiana State stomp spot. I do think that this Indiana State team is just on a completely different level right now. With Indiana State, I've loved what I've seen out of them. A one and a half to a two-point line against a Northern Iowa team that I remember when this team played really slowly. I remember when they were making NCAA tournaments left and right. I have no idea why they changed your style. I don't know if this has been something that you've picked up on because you're a guy out there in the great state of Iowa, but... I feel like this Northern Iowa team has went straight down the toilet pole ever since they've tried to kick it up tempo, and I have no idea why they ever changed their style. Yep, this is a Northern Iowa team that used to play through their wings and through their bigs, and now it's been pretty heavily reliant on just ball-dominant guards and three-point shooting, and I'm with you. I think that they were trying to adapt to a change of styles across college basketball, and it kind of sacrificed a lot of their you know, postseason success and just their ability to grind it out in conference play 
which was their key to all those runs. So I'm right there with you. I feel like this program has kind of taken a hit over the past six, seven years. And that's really unfortunate because I really do like this Northern Iowa program. Yeah, same year. It's been tough times for them, but things are always great on this podcast. When you're aboard, my friend, Rob, you're doing such a good job taking a look at this wonderful game of college basketball. I know that you're primed up for the national title game as well. So let the good people at home know what's all on tap for you and how people are able to follow along on social media and other platforms. Yeah, Greg, always appreciate you having me on. It's officially pretty much college basketball season. You got the NFL playoffs on. You got some NBA, which I don't even mess with. And then you got college basketball, which is in full force every single night of the week. It's just an exciting time. So if you guys want to follow me, you can do so on X at RobDFB. And you can also do so on YouTube at my channel, just Rob Donaldson. As always, Greg, I really appreciate you having me on. I always appreciate you, Rob. Rob does such tremendous work taking a look at college basketball, college football. I know that he is very much geared up for the NFL playoffs that is going to be starting as well. And every single time he joins this show, he lends tremendous insight and tremendous picks. So big thanks to Rob for joining me on Coast Coast Hoops, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis out of a game on the betting board for this college basketball Sunday as we hit some big shots. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. And we're back here at Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops-Peterson, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. It is always a pleasure to get Rob Donaldson aboard. Does such great work at his show slash podcast, Rob's Best Fed Show. Go to YouTube.com slash Rob Donaldson. Does a great job taking a look at college basketball, the NFL, college football with the national title game happening on Monday and so much more. Every time he joins this podcast, I feel like we get just a little bit smarter. So big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Sunday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter slash XFeed at unit underscore D1. We are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we pretty much go in time order and then the lone game at the bottom that is an extra game that is your independent. Chicago save versus UTEP because they are not affiliated with the conference. They go to the bottom. I could go into much more detail, but we're going to keep it easy. We're going to save a few seconds on the explanation. So let's get things started with 821-822 on the betting board. It is Michigan. They're playing against Penn State. This is in the state of Pennsylvania, but this is at the Palestrian with Michigan. They are finding themselves as favorites of three to three and a half points. So on this game, in between 154 and 154 and a half. For Penn State, a really interesting spot because they're playing in their home state, but this is not a true home court game for them. So I sort of gave them credit for half of what I would typically give them 
for the home court. And this resulted in me setting Michigan as a three and a half point favorite. I'm going to be one to lay three and not a half a point more with them. It is a Michigan defense that has been absolutely horrible, and my goodness, for this Michigan team. When they were 3-0, and they were looking like the bee's knees of college basketball. They've went 3-8 and in their last 11 games. It has been against one of the toughest slates of competition, though. You're going to find it all of college basketball. Michigan getting destroyed, 246th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but this micro system has not been working out too well in the Big Ten. It is a Penn State team that is 98th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And it's very striking what we've seen out of this Penn State team as they are allowing at home right around about 33.5 points fewer per one hour possessions rather than a road slash shoot record environment. And this qualifies as a road slash shoot record environment. And now they have to go up against a Michigan team that should be able to do a solid job winning the battle on the boards. Each other top five scores give you at least 4.3 rebounds per game. Teach me how to Dougie McDaniel has been able to shoot about 38.5% from three, 18.5 points per game. And I am with Michigan. The defense has been deplorable, but this offense is so good. They're shooting as a collective 38% from three point range. I'm sorry, but Will Shetter is not going to continue to shoot 63.5% from three, but hey, he's been able to give the team right around eight points per contest. And I do think that guarding that versatility is going to be an issue for a Penn State team that they really are looking to generate turnovers. This team is in the top 40 in terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis. Ace Baldwin is able to generate two and a half of those steals. Chips in there at 13 points per game, but for Penn State, they only shoot right around 30 and a half percent from three-point range. That is going to be a big issue. You do have Kudis Wahab, who's been able to do a relatively solid job down low. He gives you a steal. He's been able to do a relatively solid job being able to contribute about eight and a half boards, throwing in there 10 points, a little bit over a block per contest as well. Puff Johnson, I was expecting a little bit more out of him. He has been in and out of the fold as well, but it's been really Kanye Cleary, who's been your main scorer, giving you about 18 and a half points per game. has come a little bit out of nowhere. Both of these teams in relatively rough form with Penn State in their last game. I'm going to give it up 92 to Michigan State. This is a Michigan team that they continue to be able to get to 70 plus on the regular, so I do think that they're still going to be able to do a relatively solid job here, but that said, this is a Penn State team that I really don't trust their offense as well. When it comes to regulation, as they played a few games that went to overtime, 72 points or fewer, scored in three of their last four games. The lone exception came against Ryder, and I do think that with this being in a neutral court environment, with Michigan playing fast but not at warp speed, and Penn State being able to generate some turnovers, this is going to turn into a little bit of a sloppier game with the unfamiliarity with the surroundings along with an early tip time. So, I did something I told 151 half. I'm looking at the under. And with Michigan, willing to lay three and not a half a point more with them. 823, 824 on the betting board. Temple is going to be playing us at Wichita State. Wichita State is a one to one and a half point favorite. And your total is between 147 and 147 half. I did set my line at a one and a half. Seeing a lot of ones out there. This opened up as a pick. I'm in. At a one or less, I'm going to be willing to lay it with Wichita State. I think that they should be the slightest of slight favorites on the road because I do think that Wichita State is going to be able to win that battle down low. You've got three separate guys giving you at least 6.7 rebounds per game. Quincy Ballard, Kenny Poto, Dallin Riginal, and then Kobe Rogers has done a nice job shooting 40% from three-point range. He throws in there two assists per contest as well, and this is a Temple team that we do have to give our Odalay and Kiffin go owls that they're just having a little bit of a tough time down low. Steve Saddle has been able to give you right around about five or so rebounds per game, and for Micah Piccarelli, he's been able to shoot in the mid-30s from three-point range, but Temple's now shooting less than 31.5% from three-point range. 
Jays certainly have had their struggles on that front, and I just don't trust in Temple to be able to do a relatively solid job down low in this one. For Temple, in terms of rebound rate, they're rating 236 in all of college basketball, while this Wichita State team, certainly with regards to their top three, they've been carrying them quite a bit on this, but they're a top 75 team with that regard, and this is a Temple team that they themselves have been getting cooked from the outside. It's a Temple team that... He's under the tutelage of Adam Fisher. He was very good as being one of the masterminds of everything that Penn State was able to do in recent years. So they are going to need to look to the outside a little bit more moving forward. But I don't think that that's going to start in this game going up against a Wichita State team that ranks in the top 50 nationally in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage. Meanwhile, Temple 210th in the country in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage are allowing opponents to shoot 36.7% from the outside. They do have some relatively good versatility with Heisier Miller being able to chip in their 15 plus points. He's been able to give you 4 plus assists per contest, so I do like what he's been able to bring to the table for this team, but you just need a little bit more out of some of these ancillary pieces. You've been able to get about 12 points per contest out of Jordan Riley, but he's now only shooting about 29% from 3-point range as well. It's a Temple team that they take care of the ball. Only about 10.5 turnovers per game. Wichita State, they're a little bit worse with this regard, but they don't really get too loose with it. A lot of 11.5 turnovers per game out of them, and Temple, not a team that really forces the issue with regards to being able to rip the ball Way and it's a Temple team that has now scored 68 points or fewer in each of their last four games, while this is a Wichita State team that they themselves have failed to break 70 in each of their last five games. So, I do think that this is a little bit of a lower scoring affair. I think that both of these teams are going to look a little bit better than they have in recent games with regards to their scoring, but I could, could only set my total at a 145.5. Look at under, and with Wichita State, one to lay up to a full point with them. A 25-826 on the betting board. UMass hits the road face-off against Dayton. Dayton finds themselves as between 9 to 10 point favorites. Thelon's game is anywhere between 150 and a half and 151. I did say UMass as an underdog of six points. Going to be willing to take the points with the Minutemen. UMass is playing quite up-tempo. They're a top 50 team in the country in terms of total possessions per game. And while this UMass team is not going to be mistaken for like the Steel Curtain in terms of their defense, they've been able to do a relatively solid job holding up on that end of the floor as well. UMass 72nd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And typically it's Dayton that is that supreme defense. Dayton has seen a fall-off with that regard. 146th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. What has been carrying Dayton is their supreme three-point shooting. They are shooting 41.1% from three-point range. Top 10 mark in all of college basketball. They still do a solid job down low. Dayron Holmes, Nate Santos, these two guys have been able to combine for 13.9 rebounds per game. For Holmes, he's still giving you 17.5 points, shipping in there a little bit over a block per contest. So he certainly has been able to do his part. But I do think that for this UMass team, they're going to be able to take it to them down low. Matt Cross, along Josh Cohen, have been able to combine for north of 13 rebounds per game. This is a UMass team that with regards to offensive rebound rate, they are in the top 40 nationally in terms of percentage of misses that do turn into an offensive rebound. And for Dayton, they've seen some slippage with regards to their rebounding as this team is about 169th in the country in terms of total rebound rate. So do have my qualms there. And when it comes to the Staten team, certainly this has been a team that has been able to light it up from three-point range all season long. But I do fear that there's going to be a little bit of regression with that moving forward for the Staten team. They're shooting about 44% from three-point range at home. And this is a UMass team that, all in all, they've been able to do a relatively solid job of being able to force some turnovers. They're going up against an Aiden team that they do lose to begin the season. Malachi Smith, he got injured night number one ever since then. It's been so many guys like a Kobe Brea, Kobe Elvis who have been able to do a really 
really good job of being able to distribute the ball. So you got to give a lot of credit where credit is due, but you do have to wonder if that's going to be catching up with them. Meanwhile, Razul Diggins has been able to shoot in the mid-30s from three-point range for a UMass team that if they do have an issue, it's the fact that they do shoot less than 70% in the free throw line. That is a little bit of a problem, but that would be much more of a problem if they be laying this sort of a number, they get fouled late, and then they miss a few free throws at the end of the game rather than catching a whole bunch of points like they are in this one. This is a UMass team that they have been doing a solid job of being able to guard the three-point arc as well, which has been the forte of Dayton. UMass 89th in the country in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage, and this is a Dayton team that they themselves have been 215th in the country, allowing opponents to shoot north of 35% from the outside at home. UMass, not necessarily a flamethrower team from three-point range, but they get enough three-point shooting that I do think that they should be able to hold in this game. It's a UMass team that plays relatively fast. It's a Dayton team that's in the bottom 20 in terms of total possessions per game, but I do think that the defense for UMass holds up for an under. I did something total 146 and set my line at 6. So we're going to have UMass with the points and going to be taking a look at this total under 827, 828 on the betting board. It is Iona. They play us in Niagara. Niagara does find themselves as an underdog of 9.5 points. 142.5 to 143 is your total. I'm with Niagara. I did set them as an underdog of 12.5 points. I'm going to be willing to lay this number. Iona really hit rock bottom when they had that came against St. Joe's where they were getting nearly doubled up for much of the game. They get absolutely destroyed by a count of 83 to 58. And that loss against St. Peter's was a little bit less than savory, but we have seen this Iona team really be able to step up with this defense. As for Iona, they have allowed 70 points or fewer, and now six out of their last seven games. This bunch has been able to do a nice job on that front. You've been able to have Osborne Sheva come back in the full true seven-footer. That's given you two blocks per contest since his return, and that's been big because Iona was really lacking a lot down low without him. They only had one other player that was able to give you north of about five rebounds per game. That'd be Greg Gordon, six-foot-five combo player that comes in from the junior college level and has been superb, shooting 46% from three. Now, the bad news, and this was accounted for, only played 11 minutes in that game against St. Peter's, went out with an injury. I'm thinking he's going to be out of the fold in this one, but... I do think that Wiesa Ponzo, a guy that shot north of 45% from three-point range while he was over at Stetson a season ago, he's going to be able to step up a little bit in this one, and they're going up against a bunch of Niagara that typically, this is such a good defense. You typically have Greg Paulus really being able to bat down the hatches and make life miserable for teams. Niagara now 282nd in all of college basketball in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage. Niagara still plays slow. They're still outside the top 250 in terms of total possessions per game, but this defense is just just non-existent at this point. In terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, Niagara 302nd. Ay ay ay, that is not terrific. And for this Niagara team, they do have a few guys that are able to throw the ball in the basket. Luke Bumbleo comes in from Ball State, where two years ago he was averaging north of 10.5 points per game. But Kawan Marble, he's only been able to give him about six or seven points per contest. I remember during that 2020-21 season at Wyoming, he was chipping in there nine and a half points per contest. Thought he was really going to take off. That's not been the case. You've got two guys for Niagara right now that are giving you north of three and a half rebounds per game. Yawa Bang Menza, the UMBC transfer with about five and a half points per contest, and is shooting 40 percent from three-point range. Meanwhile, you've got Harlan Obioa, who's been able to give you about 7.8 boards. He's a true seven-footer, so that's going to be a little bit of an issue down low for Iona, but being able to get back Osborne Chema, that true seven-footer, that's going to be able to mitigate quite a bit of that. It is an Iger team that credit where credit is due. They've now gone to at least 69 points in each of their last five games, but I do think that Iona is going to be able to cool them down. Iona's done a really nice job of ripping the ball away. They're generating about nine and a half seals per contest. To Niagara's credit, they only turn the ball over about 11 times per contest. They shoot 77 percent of the free throw line, 37% from three-point range, but I do think 
that this is an Iona Bunch is going to be able to do a relatively solid job of being able to guard the three-point arc. They ranked 238th in the country with this regard, but for that, you did see St. Joe's just completely go off from three-point range ever since then. Iona has been able to do a much better job of being able to guard the three-point arc, so I do think that Niagara on the road is going to have a little bit of an issue there, and I do think that with Iona being able to get back Shema, they control things down low and get the job done by double figures. I did set Iona as a 12.5 point favorite, want to lay the number, and did set my total at a 142.5 I just don't think you get enough possessions for an over. So, looking at the 143 under and one delay with Iona. 829, 830 on the betting board. It is Young Sound State and they play us IUPUI. Old UEPUI finds themselves as 18 and a half to 19 and a half point underdogs. So, this game is anywhere between 146 half and 147 half. Set my line at 22. I'm going to be willing to lay with Youngstown State. We have not reached a buy point on this IUPUI team. It's an IUPUI team that I'm pretty sure has covered only three spreads this far this season. They might have covered a fourth, but I mean, they have been burning your money all season long. They've got Jalen Counter doing a nice job. He's shipping in there 14 and a half points, 2.7 assists, four and a half rebounds. Shoots 37% from three, but IUPUI shoots 23.8% from three. They're in the bottom 100 in terms of total possessions per game, yet they turn the ball over 14 times for contests. Other than Kwanzi Samuels, who gives you about five rebounds per game, he along Jalen Counter are really the only guys that give you north of four rebounds per game. IUPUI is getting cooked from the outside in a road slash neutral court environment. Opponents are shooting 39.7% from three-point range against them. They're in the bottom 50 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They're in the bottom 30 in points scored on a per-possession basis. And you've got a Youngstown State team that is actually playing some relatively solid defense. Youngstown State, their main issue has been giving up the three-point arc. They're allowing opponents at home to shoot about 41.7% from three, but who in the heck on IUPUI is going to be able to knock down threes? Vincent Brady last year shot north of 33% from three. He's down to 21.2% from three-point range. Bryce Monroe has been able to give you double figures, but I mean, this IUPUI team, in terms of their offense, has been as useful as a poopy-flavored lollipop. Meanwhile, you've got a Youngstown State team that has DJ Burns, who's going to be able to dominate down low nine boards, right around about 11.5 points per contest. You've got pretty much six different guys that give you at least 8.3 points per game. Brandon Rush, the main guy out of them with 13.5 points per game. And for Youngstown State, they've taken a little bit of a dive with their offense. Last year, this was a top 20 team in all of college basketball in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. 163rd thus far this season, but at home, they are averaging 17.9 points more per 100 possessions rather than in a roadside shoot-record environment. And after they had so many issues a season ago with regards to their defense, they've been playing much better on this side of things. They're now about 182nd in the country there's points allowed on a per-possession basis. I do think that IEPY is going to get house once again. I just don't think that IEPY is going to be able to do their part when it comes to the total as well. You take a look at this IEPY team and against D1 teams because they played against a lot of non-D1 teams recently as well, but this is a bunch that they have scored 67 points or fewer in essentially all but two out of their last 10 games and you've got a young South State team that they themselves been a little bit rough recently with their defense, but still have given up 70 points or fewer in three out of their last five games. So, this is a spot where I set my total 142, diving in on the under, and I'm going to be one to lay with the Youngstown State. 831, 832 on the betting board. It is Fairfield and the Sags by Osa Maris. Maris does find themselves as an underdog of two and a half points. Totals between 133.5 and 134.5. Did set my total at 129.5, so certainly going to be looking at the under fully recognized that Fairfield has cranked up their tempo last year. Bottom 30 team in terms of total possessions per game this year, and they're in the top half of all of college basketball in this regard, but I set Maris as a favorite of a point and a half. I'm looking at them outright on the money line because of that defense. Maris, 
14th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, and it is a defense that travels. Maris still a top 20 team in a road slash neutral court environment when it comes to points allowed on a per possession basis. Maris not really going to pop off with their offense. It's a bunch that has two guys are averaging north of 8.1 points per contest. Max Allen has been able to give you a little bit over 12 points per game. Josh Passarelli, he's been able to chip in there about 11 points per contest. Has surged a little bit recently as well, giving the team 37% three-point shooting. He's one out for 13 plus points in four of the team's last five games, so that's refreshing for a Maris team that they only shoot about 63.5% at the free throw line. That is a little bit of an issue that you have in a nip-and-tuck game, but they shoot 34% from three-point range. And what's incredible about this Maris team is that they're doing everything that they're doing defensively without having a single guy that really registers north of five and a half rebounds per game. This is a Maris team that when it comes to their overall rebound rate, they're about 183rd. It's nothing great. It's nothing fair, terrible. But for this Fairfield bunch, they are really awful on the glass. They're in 87th with this regard. A big reason why is that they brought in Alexis Yetna as a transfer. He has yet to be able to play this far this season. So that has certainly put them behind the eight ball. Now you do Bryson Goodine, who came in from Syracuse. He's been able to give the team double figures. He's shooting north of 40% from three-point range. A big reason why this Fairfield team has been able to elevate a bit with their offense. We've also got a Fairfield bunch that has been able to do a solid job of being able to get some facilitation out of Jasper Floyd. He's done a nice job being able to rip the ball away. He's giving you about 2.4 steals, 5.5 boards, 11 points, 5 assists. So I like his overall game. It is a Fairfield team that, from three-point range, they've been able to shoot about 34.5% from the outside. But this is a Maris team that has really worked on that aspect because Maris last year was a really good interior defense, but they would get absolutely cooked from three-point range. Thus far this season for Maris, 24th in all of college basketball in terms of opponents three-point shooting percentage. This is a Fairfield team that they're about 138th in the country in terms of opponents three-point shooting percentage, but at home allowing opponents to shoot 38.7% from the outside. I do think that Maris is going to be able to hit enough outside shots. I think that they are going to be able to control the glass as well, and what I think is going to be a slow, grimy game. Maris has just continued to stick teams in the mud all season long, so did set my total 129 and a half. Looking at the under, and I like Maris outright on the money line. 833-834 on the betting board. Ryder is going to be playing us to Canisius. Canisius finds themselves in a pick'em game. One book has them as a one-point favor as well. Totals between 147 and 147 and a half. Is that Ryder as a one-point favorite? So getting them on a pick'em line slash as a one-point favorite, I'm going to be willing to take Ryder. They were able to cover the closing line against Quinnipiac in some places. Like, I was able to get a three and a half at DraftKings. We were able to get there on that one for the DK Network write-up. So thank you, DraftKings, for giving me a very, very generous line on that one. But that said, this is a Ryder team that, despite the fact that they have a really grody straight-up record, despite the fact that this is a Ryder team that at home, they're giving up about 36% three-point shooting. I do think that this has been a little bit of a byproduct of the fact that they really did challenge themselves and I think that this is actually a relatively solid buy-low spot. Going up against Canisius team that's been shooting north of 38% from three-point range. I do think that there's going to be a little bit of regression there and this is a Canisius team that they have been very fortunate in terms of opponents three-point shooting. They are 22nd in the country in terms of opponents and their three-point shooting percentage defense 20.8% and if you dive in on the numbers, they're relatively average on the road slash a little bit below average allowing opponents to shoot 33.9% from the outside. At home, it's 14.3%, which really does warp their numbers. This is a Canisius team that is going to be able to have a guy that should be able to win the battle down low as you've been able to have Frank Mitchell be able to give you about 9.5 rebounds per game, so I like his overall game. But Mervyn James, he might be the most versatile player out there on the floor. For Ryder, he's been able to give you 20 points, 7.5 boards, shooting about 30% from 3-point range, and Finally, TJ Weeks has come alive. Prior to the game against Gwinnett Piak, was shooting like 25% from three. He emerged. He shot it well from three-point range. 
TJ Weeks throughout his career at UMass was always about a nine, nine, nine 9.5 point per game score, shot in the mid-30s from three-point range. Now he's starting to score order for a Ryder team. That they're so rough from three-point range at 27.8%, but it's been getting better and better. You figured that these guys wouldn't be in a rut all season long, and Alan Boom Boom Powell, I think, is going to rise up as well. Two seasons ago, shot 36% from three-point range during the 2020-2021 season, shot 44% from the outside. This year, it's been just 23% from three-point range, so if he can rise up, now you're really looking at something with the Ryder team that certainly they've been getting just right on defense this team as well outside the top 225 in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis and Ryder does send teams to the free throw line quite a bit which actually is not going to be a bad thing in this one in terms of percentage of possessions that end in a free throw for opponents Ryder in the bottom 15 all of college basketball but Canisius they shoot 67% of the free throw line now credit where credit is due your top two scorers in Siam Ijandal along with Trey Dinkins they both shoot north of 83.5% of the free throw line they've been able to combine for about 30.5 points per count Contest. Really, everyone other than Ty TJ Gatson, they've got nobody else on the roster that really shoots north of 71.5% at the free throw line. That's going to be a bit of an issue. And with Canisius being very top heavy, nobody other than Mitchell is really able to give you north of four and a half rebounds per game. Ryder by committee with having Tariq Ingram, guys like this should be able to get the job done. So I did set Ryder as a one point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take them on this pickup line and did set my total at a 147. I do think that Ryder is going to rise up a little bit more with their three point shooting, but it's not a Ryder team that necessarily plays. Super duper up tempo, and I do think that a Kanisha team has been so hot from three point range, currently shooting about 38.7%. They cool down a little bit as well. So, looking at the 147 half under and rider on this pick and line, 835, 836 on the betting board. It is St. Peter's, a playoffs about St. Mary's, and the Mount does find themselves as an underdog of three to three and a half points. Your total on scheme is 128 and a half. Did semi total at a 128. So, you're at the 128 and a half. I'm going to be willing to dive in on the under. It is a St. Peter's team that they just continue to be that very much defense-oriented team as they're really relying upon second chances to be able to get them scoring. The St. Peter's team in terms of percentage of missed shots that result in an offensive rebound, they rank in the top 35 nationally and that's the way that they're going to need to operate as for St. Peter's. They do a solid job of being able to guard the three-point arc. They do a nice job of being able to guard the interior but this team with their three-point shooting, it's only about 30% and that's because they actually got hot a few nights ago. They were able to put it up and they were able to get a win over Iona 69-57 to and credit where credit is due for the St. Peter's team. This team has given up 71 points or fewer, and I believe in every single game thus far this season. So they've done a really good job of holding up defensively. You've got a pair of guys in Corey Washington, Latrell Reed, that headline the team in terms of scoring. They're giving you about 23.5 points per contest, with Reed being able to shoot 40% for three points. You both contribute about a steal per contest as well. St. Peter's outside the top three in terms of total possessions per game, and for the Mount, this is a team that's all of a sudden playing much more up-tempo. They're ranking right around about 100 in the country in terms of total possessions per game, but it's been to their detriment. They are turning the ball over about 15 and a half times for contest with this Mount St. Mary's team. They've been able to do a solid job of being able to guard the three-point arc at home. On the road, though, they're allowing opponents to shoot 36.7% from three-point range. That is quite a bit of an issue, and I mean, back in the day when Mount St. Mary's was making the NCAA tournament, they had so many guys that were just completely manhandling on the boards. You would have someone like Anana Akpu who would give you like five-plus rebounds per game. Malik Jefferson was really good on the glass. They don't have a single guy on the roster. That gives you north of five rebounds per game. Now the Mount not necessarily getting destroyed on the glass because they've been able to do a relatively solid job by committee. They're actually 107th at all of college basketball in terms of rebound rate with having guys like Joey Cordelia, George Tinsley, guys like this.
Memphis, all contributing right in the neighborhood, about four and a half rebounds per game, but they're still dealing with Xavier Lipscomb, deal with an injury, came in from Radford, was a relatively solid three-point shooter, and for Dakota Lafue, he has seen his three-point shooting percentage dip from 40% last year, down to about 33% this season. Last year was playing off the ball with Jalen Benjamin. Now, I will say, he, along with Dallas Hobbs, have been able to combine for about eight assists per contest, but they're also combining now for about five turnovers per game as well, so you have your issues on that front for Mount St. Mary's. It has been an offense that has been able to take off quite a bit, 72 plus points at each other last five games, but going up against the St. Peter's team that they just stick you in the mud. We have seen them slow down a bunch of really good offenses. I do think that it's going to be tough for the Mount to be able to shake this team. I do think the St. Peter's going to be able to win this game from within, getting second and third chances, being able to do a good job of locking down a Mount St. Mary's team that has been okay, but not great from three-point range. So, did set my line at a 128 with regards to the total, looking at the under. And with St. Peter's, I made them a favorite of four points. So, I'm going to be taking a look at the under and with St. Peter's willing to lay up to three and a half with them. 837, 838 on the main work. Would it be plays us Manan. Manan is an underdog of 10 to 10 and a half points. Totals between 147 and a half to 148. Hopefully this is a little bit less sweaty than the last Quinnipiac game that I bet, but that said, I'm going to be willing to ride with Quinnipiac. I did set them as a 12-point favorite. This is a Quinnipiac team that has been very sure-handed at the free throw line. They're shooting north of 80% at the charity stripe when they are at home. Overall, entering into the week, this team was in the top 20 in overall free throw shooting percentage as well. And I do think the Quinnipiac is going to be able to do a relatively solid job down low. They've been able to have a lot of guys that have just contributed rebounds despite the fact that you don't have that one guy that's going to pop off, that's going to give you like A-plus rebounds per game. They do it very much by committee as your main guy has been Amari Tice being able to come in from Wofford, giving the team six half boards, 11 points per contest. And it is a Quinnipiac team that uh, their top six scores Every single one of them shoots at least 36% from three-point range. They've got Savion Lewis, who leads the country in terms of assists per game, as well with Matt Plotich being able to chip in their 19 points per contest. Then you take a look at this Manhattan team, and they're just not really able to get right. I do like John Gallagher and what he's trying to build over here at Manhattan, and I do think that they're going to be able to elevate in future seasons, but this Manhattan team outside the top 250 in terms of both points scored and points allowed on a per-possession basis, as a matter of fact, for their offense, three 341st in terms of points scored on a per possession basis as you've got Sidhu Traore along Shaquille Bender trying to lead the way with a combined about 24.5 points per contest. And to the credit of Bender, he does shoot 39.3% from three-point range but really other than Traore, you don't have a single guy that gives you north of five rebounds per game and with he and Brett Ruppels right now out of the fold, he's currently injured. These are the only two guys on the roster that give you north of 3.6 rebounds per game. I do think that Quinnipiac is going to be able to take it to a Manhattan team that has really just been bogged down with regards to offense. This is a Manhattan team that in regulation thus far this season against C1 competition has yet to exceed the 71 point plateau. Meanwhile you've got a Quinnipiac team that they've gotten to at least 72 points at each other last four games. So I do think that Quinnipiac is going to be able to go out there, make things a little bit more comfortable than those of you guys that rode my DK network right up a few days ago. I'm going to be willing to lay up to 12 with them. So going to be willing to lay the number and did some my total in this spot at a 148 as well. So going to be willing to lay with Quinnipiac and here at a 149 right now seeing a lot of 148 and after 149 going to be willing to go in on the unders I don't think Manhattan does their part and willing to lay it with Quinnipiac 837-838 on the 
830 and I-840 on the betting board. It is East Carolina, and they are going to be playing us to Tulsa. Tulsa does find themselves as an underdog of 2.5 to 3 points. So on this game, average between 140 and a half at 142 and a half. And when it comes to the Tulsa team, was very impressed by what they did against Memphis. But that said, I do think that they're going to be up against it just a little bit here. Semi-line at 4, so I'm going to be willing to lay it with Tulsa. They've done a very nice job with regards to their defense. A top 45 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis and a top 50 team in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage. But I do think that East Carolina, a team that has ranked outside the top 200 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, going to continue to rise up a little bit more. As for East Carolina, they were dealing with an injury earlier to the season. Actually, not an injury, but rather an illness to Brandon Johnson. Having him back the fold has made all the difference for the team, especially on the glass with him being able to supply 14-plus points, 8-plus rebounds per game. And really, your top three guys for East Carolina all do a tremendous job on the glass. With top scorer RJ Felton being able to give you north of six rebounds per game. Ezra Azar has been able to give you about 13 points, five boards, and it's currently shooting 57% from three-point range. I do think that we're going to see a little bit of a fall off there, but for the East Carolina team, even though they shoot 31.1% from three-point range, you've got Azar along with Brandon Johnson and then RJ Felton all shooting at least 35.7% from distance with Felton chipping in there, one and a half seals, 16 and a half points per game. I think the real key for the team could Bobby Pettifer be a little bit more consistent in terms of his scoring as well. This is a man that's given you about nine and a half points, three and a half assists per contest, former top 150 recruit out of Kansas, but he's given the team 12 points or fewer in each of the last four games. He's done a nice job, though, not turning the ball over. Flip side for the Salsa team, they have been very loose with the ball. This bunch has been turning the ball over north of 13 times for contests this season, closer to 14 and a half times per game, and Kesson Willis was coming over to play for his coach, Eric Conkle, after he last season was at Louisiana Tech. He's only played two games this season. He's out of the fold. We've seen Kobe Williams shoot only about 29% from three-part range after last season at Louisiana Tech. He was averaging about 18.5 points. He was shooting it really well from three-part range as well, so that's a little bit off-putting. It's a Tulsa team that has beaten up on a bunch of really bad competition, and though they were able to hang in there against Memphis, Memphis just went really cold in the second half in that one as well, and I do think that for the Tulsa team, they're going to continue to regress with regards to their opponent three-point shooting percentage, and when Tulsa's been on the road, they allow opponents to shoot 36.8% from three compared to 26.7% from distance at home. It is the spot where I'm going to be willing to lay with East Carolina. I did set them as a four-point favorite, and with regards to the total, I did set mine at a 146. You've got an East Carolina team as rather slow in control, but they have been well outside the top 200 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and this is a Tulsa team that, in their own right, they've gotten to 73-plus points in four other last five games. So, looking at the over, and going to be willing to lay with East Carolina. 841-842 on the betting board. Indiana State is going to be on the road facing off against Northern Iowa. Northern Iowa does find themselves as a one and a half to a 2.0 underdog and Tudon's game you're going to be having this clock in anywhere between 155 and a half and 156 and a half and I did set my total at a 156 so we're in between numbers. This open up at a 157 and a half. Personally I would rather take the 156 and a half under rather than the 155 and a half over but we shall see what happens especially if we can dive down below 155 then I think we've got a really nice buy point on the over as this is an Indiana State team that has been one of the best offenses in all of college basketball in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. And Indiana State was actually a top 100 defense last year in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. It's taken a little bit of a nosedive, but 
They're still doing a relatively solid job on that front. Indiana about 109th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. What does have me fearful of that under, though, is that you've got a Northern Iowa team that's 243rd in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They've looked a little bit better recently. Last three games, they're giving up about six points fewer per runner in possessions than they have for much of the season, but still, this has been a bunch that has really lost their way. I remember when they were making the NCAA tournament about a decade ago under Ben Jacobson, and they would play just amazing defense. They would play very slowly. Now they're not doing any of that. You've got a pair of guys, and Nate Izzy, along with Titan Anderson, they've been able to give you a combined about 12.5 rebounds per game, and Izzy's been able to shoot 42% from distance for a Northern Iowa team that is shooting 36.8% from three-point range, so that's been rather impressive, but the team doesn't have a ton down low, and they're going to have to go up against Robbie Avila, who gives you 13-plus points, 6-plus boards, 4.5-plus assists per contest, and shoots darn near 40% from three-point range for an Indiana State team that's in the top 15 nationally in terms of three-point shooting percentage and they guard the arc as well. 125th in the country in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage in Northern Iowa. 309th and Northern Iowa at home, they're allowing opponents to shoot 39.4% from three-point range. That's just completely unacceptable when you go up against an Indiana State team in which you do have so much versatility. Though Xavier Bledson doesn't necessarily give you a lot of scoring, he's able to do out the ball. He's able to give you right around about three and a half, four assists per contest along Julian Larry. As a matter of fact, for this Indiana State team, you've got pretty much four separate guys to give you at least 2.4 assists per contest. They're shooting as a collective 40.7% from three-point range. I do think that there's going to be a regression there, but that said, their top four players with regards to assists, they all give you at least 1.9 per contest. They all also shoot at least 39.5% from three-point range as well, with being able to get about 15.5 points per contest out of Ryan Conwell. You've had Isaac Swope come in from southern Indiana. He's been able to contribute 19.5 points per game, and it's an Indiana State team that has really been able to turn over a little bit of a new leaf with their defense as well. It was a little bit brutal to begin the season, but now it's given up 73 points or fewer in five out of their last six games. And for Northern Iowa, credit where credit is due. They followed three out of their last four opponents to fewer than 65 points. So in this spot, if we can continue to get this 156 half or higher, I'm going to be taking a look at the under. But that said, with Indiana State, I do think that they just provide too much that Northern Iowa is not going to be able to handle. This is a Northern Iowa team that guards the arc much worse than Indiana State, which I do think is going to be a big factor in this game. So one to lay with Indiana State. So thumb is a six-point favorite at a 156 half or higher. Going to be taking a look at this total under 843-844 on the betting board. South Florida is going to be on the road facing off against UAB as the Blazers are a 1-2 to two point favorite at home. Your total on this game are between 150.5 and 151.5 with UAB did make them a favorite of 3.5 points. So going to be willing to lay up to 3 with them. It's a UAB squad that has been quite unfortunate with regards to their 3 point shooting defense at home for the Blazers. They're allowing opponents to shoot well north of 36% for 3 point range at home 3 and 5th in all of college basketball at that regard. Should be able to see that turn around and for South Florida, they are allowing opponents to shoot about 35% from the outside when they're on the road as well. For South Florida, they were almighty unlucky with regards to their three-point shooting to begin the season, and though it's starting to turn around a little bit, I do think that there's still a little bit more positivity for this team. But with that said, because UAB has been playing much more slowly this year, they're now outside the top 130 with regards to total possessions per game. I did set my total at 149.5. As a result, I'm going to be taking a look at the under. You've got a UAB team that has been looking to the big man down low and Yaxel Lundborg to be able to control things down low. He's been able to give the team right around nine rebounds per game, and he should be able to win that battle down low. As for South Florida, right now you've got one player that gives you north of 4.7 rebounds per game. That'd be Kashan Pryor, and Pryor was out of the fold for a few games. He's back. He should be good to go in this one in the team's last performance. 6.9 rebounds, 6 assists, so he is very much good to go in this one, but 
That's up for South Florida. Just continue to think that Chris Youngblood going to continue to kick it up with regards to his three-point shooting last year when he was playing for Abdul Rahim when he was over at Kennesaw State. John North of 40% for three this year, just 34% for business, but now he's supplying about 15 points per contest. You've been able to have Jose Placer when he's been out there, be able to give you a little bit of facilitation, has been able to contribute some scoring, but he's been out for the last month or so, so Celtic Miguel has had to do quite a bit more in the backcourt. And credit recorded to Zoo, he's been able to give the team 14-plus points in four of the team's last five games, shooting 46.5% from three-point range, but when it comes to the UAB team, I do think that Eric Gaines continues to see positivity as well. Shot about 33-34% from three-point range last season. That's down to 24% this year, but still, even despite the lack of three-point shooting, four boards, five assists, three steals, 13 points per contest, a complete stat sheet stuffer. You've had Javion Davis be able to contribute as a six foot eight, little bit of a do-it-all player. A steal, seven boards, 11 points per contest, and now you've been able to get a little bit more from the outside from Daniel Ortiz, someone who had North Alabama last season, shot north of 40% from three, but we're around 35% from distance this season and for UAB. After a relatively rough start to the season, they've now run off five straight wins with their offense coming alive, 78 plus points in each of their last five games, but this was against a lot of lesser competition. Meanwhile, South Florida, they've actually given up 73 points or fewer in each of their last four as they're riding their own six-game win streak, so both of these teams come in hot. I do think that with this game, we're going to see a a little bit of a slower tempo out of both of these teams. So I did set my total 149.5. I'm diving in on the under, but I do think that UAB going to be able to do just a little bit more down low. That gives them the edge in this game. So I did set my total 149.5, diving under, and I'm going to be willing to lay it with UAB. 845-846 on the betting board. It is Drake, and they throw their facing off against Belmont. Belmont does find themselves as a home underdog of between four and five points, and John's game, it is 155, and I said Drake is a three and a half point favorite. This was actually the opener in the game, so I very much agreed with the opener now that we've seen the team come in on this Drake bunch, I'm going to be willing to take the points with Belmont. Belmont is doing a rough job with their defense. They are well outside the top 225 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And this is actually a Drake team that's very balanced. They're a top 75 team both in terms of points scored and points allowed on a per-possession basis. And for Drake, they have been able to do a relatively solid job of getting their main man going. And that would be Mr. DeVries. Tucker DeVries. As his father is actually the coach of this team, he does it all. He's able to give you 17 plus points, 5 plus boards, three assists. I need just a complete statue suffer. With the question then becoming, what are you going to be able to get out of these ancillary pieces? And with Kobe Garland along Cooper Enright, these two guys, they only give you about 13 points per contest between the two of them, but they've been able to combine for nearly five assists, and Enright is actually shooting 52.5% for three-point for a Drake team that, despite the fact that DeVries has had to be the main ball handler for this team, would like to see him play off the ball a little bit more. They've only turned the ball over about 9.8 times per contest. They do have Darnell Brody down low, who is going to be the best true rebounder in this game, 7.8 rebounds per game, and he and DeVries are the only two guys on the roster that give you north of 3.6 rebounds per game. And for Drake, in a road slash shoot record environment, they're allowing opponents to shoot 36.6% from three-point range. And that's where Belmont hurts you. Belmont, they are going to take a lot of shots from three-point range year in and year out. They're one of the highest teams in the country with regards to percentage of shots that do come from three-point range. And they've got three guys that are registering north of 16 points per game. As you've got Cade Tyson, Jacoby Gillespie, coupled with Malik Dia, all being able to do so. Between this trio, you've been able to get right around about 51 points per contest. Gillespie is your main facilitator. Four assists, 2.6 steals per contest on 41% three-point shooting. Tyson at six foot seven. He shoots about 39% from the outside. And Dia gives you about five and a half rebounds per game. While Belmont does not have a guy other than Dia that gives you north of five rebounds per game, they do have four of their top five scorers giving you at least 4.8 rebounds per game. So they do a relatively solid job 
on that front. And I was talking about how Belmont has been rough on defense. The one thing that they've done is guard the three-point arc. They're allowing opponents to shoot just 29.1% from three-point range when they play in the city of Nashville. So I do think that Belmont going to be able to hold in this game. And I do think that that's going to cause for a little bit of a lower scoring affair as well. Belmont plays fast. They don't necessarily play at warp speed. And this is a Drake team that is very much a mid-tempo bunch as well. Drake has been able to do a relatively solid job with regards to their defense in regulation because that UAB game that did go to overtime They've been able to hold each of their last, I believe now, 10 opponents to 71 points or fewer. So, been highly impressed there. Meanwhile, it's a Belmont team that they've been able to rise up a little bit more with their defense, giving up 73 or fewer in far of their last five games. So, this is a circumstance for a semi 12 153.5. I'm diving in on the under. And 4-plus could be taking the points with Belmont. 847, 848 on the betting board. It is Cleveland State playing us in Northern Kentucky. Northern Kentucky does find themselves as an underdog of 4.5 to 5 points, seeing straight 4 out there as well. Your total on this game, you're going to be getting it at 147. And I did semi tall at 142. I'm going to be one to dive in on the under. This is a Northern Kentucky team that has lost their way a little bit defensively. They are now outside the top 200 in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis, but it's not like either of these teams are playing at warp speed with regards to their tempo. Cleveland State has been significantly better from three-point range. Last year, Cleveland State, a bottom 75 team with regards to a three-point shooting percentage. Now as a collective, they're shooting in that pocket about 37 to 38% from three-point range with having Tristan Inaruna along with Drew Lauder being able to combine for about 30 and a half points per game and they combine between the two of them to shoot about 38.5% for three-point range. Five assists per contest out of these two guys as well. And for Cleveland State, you don't have anyone other than Enaruna who's been able to give you north of six rebounds per game. That said, you've got five separate guys on the roster that have been able to give you at least four and a half rebounds per game. One of those guys is a little bit banged up in KJ DeBrick, but I do think that that's going to be tough for this Northern Kentucky team to be able to match up with. As for Northern Kentucky, last year, Chris Brandon was very good down low for the team. Nine plus rebounds per game, and he just has not been replaced. You don't have a single guy for Northern Kentucky that does give you north of five and a half rebounds per game. That'd be Trey Robinson, who does so now. Sam Vincent, Sanji Suffer. 13 points. Shoots about 33% from three-point range, but he gives out a little bit over three assists per contest. He generates two and a half steals per game for a Northern Kentucky team that they still do a good job of playing relatively under control, but the big issue for this team, well, you've got two of them. One, the fact that they're allowing opponents to shoot about 35% from three-point range, that's a little bit of an issue, but two, you take a look at the overall rebound rate, and there are teams that they are able to get by without having that one guy that gives them 10 plus rebounds per game. Northern Kentucky, not one of those teams. 255th in the country with regards to overall rebound rate. This is a Cleveland State team that, while they do a poor job on the defensive glass, on the offensive glass, they've done a relatively solid job over the last two years of being able to give themselves a lot of second and third chances as well. You do have a go-to score for this Northern Kentucky team of Marcus Warwick, who gives you 19 points to assist. to be able to shoot about 33% from three-point range, but we've seen this Northern Kentucky team not only shoot about 31.5% from three-point range, I just don't know if there's going to be enough firepower for this Northern Kentucky team to be able to get the job done in this one. It has been a team team has been relatively all over the place with regards to their offense, but I do think that it's going to be coming up a little bit dry here as it's a Northern Kentucky team that really ever since the beginning of the month of December, 71 points or fewer in all but two of their games against Division One competition. Meanwhile, it is a Cleveland State team that in their own right, they have actually gotten to at least 75 points in far of their last five games, but I do think that both of these teams get back to basics a little bit more. Cleveland State, one of their fortes is being able to generate turnovers with five out of their top six scores during at least 1.2 steals per game, and I do think that they're going to do a nice job turning Northern Kentucky over, and I do think that both of these teams 
get a little bit sloppy with the ball, which is why I did set my total at 142, diving in on the under of Cleveland State. Made them a six-point favorite, so going to also be willing to lay it with them. 849-850 on the betting board. Memphis plays out to SMU. SMU finds themselves as an underdog of 5-5.5 to five and a half points. Total is 147 to 147.5. Did set my total at 147.5, so here at the 147 and not a half a point more, I'm going to be looking at the over. This SMU team has actually been one of the most supreme teams in all of college basketball in terms of defense, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They are number 11, and this defense travels. They are in the top 20 nationally in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis in a road slash court environment as well. It's a Memphis team that's hovering more around 100th with this regard, but I do think that Memphis, a team that has all sorts of versatility with Avi Jones really being the main headliner for this team. 21 points at 6-6, popping threes at a 38% clip. Going to be doing just enough to be able to get the job done for Memphis and for SMU. Credit where credit is due. Last year, they were terrible from three-point range, and it's not like they're amazing this year, but you know what? 35.5% from three, that'll fly, and Chuck Harris has completely changed the tenor of this offense. 13 points, 2.5 assists, shooting 42.5% from three-point range, which is big because he's the only player on the roster that averages north of 5.1 points per game that shoots above 27.5% from three-point it's an SMU team that has been able to do a solid job on the glass with having a pair of guys and Tyreek Smith along with Samuel Williamson being able to combine for about 13 rebounds per game and despite the fact that those are really the lone two guys that give you north of 4.5 boards per contest, this SMU team has been able to win the battle on the boards for the most part this season. 46th in the country in terms of overall rebound rate. Now they go up against a Memphis team that is right around about 193rd but there is a reinforcement coming in for Memphis that is going to be able to change a lot of that and that would be Nequan Tomlin the gentleman that was over for Kansas State eight seasons ago. He's been able to give the team double figures. He's already made a little bit of an impact on the glass, and I do think that Memphis has themselves the more sure-handed point guard as well in Javon Quinterly. He hits that big three against Sulsa a few nights ago. He's been able to shoot overall about 34.5% from distance, 13 points with 1.2 seals per contest. Now, B.J. Edwards, not much of a score, but it's giving you about four assists per game for this SMU team to 1.4 turnovers per game, but Zarek Phelps, you just need him to really be a little bit more efficient with the ball. He does give you 15 points, two and a half assists, and two seals per game, but turns the ball over two and a half times for contest, shoots only 23% from three-point range as well. And this is a Memphis team that, while they're not quite the same defensively as SMU is, this has been a team that has been able to perform much better when they've been at home rather than when they've been on the road, as they are giving up right around six and a half points fewer per one earned possessions at home rather than when they are on the road. This is a Memphis team that, with regards to their three-point shooting defense as well, it's been able to hold up relatively well. And if there is a little bit of a crack in the armor for this SMU team, it is the fact that they don't necessarily have that ideal size down low, that one guy that's really able to pull in there a ton of rebounds, and I do think that with Memphis having so many interchangeable parts, with having so many guys out there in the backcourt, they're going to be able to stay lively, and I do think that they're going to be able to get to an SMU team that's been a little bit fortunate with opponents three-point shooting, with opponents shooting 23.1% from three-point range in a road slash shoot court environment. I think that that ticks up. I do think that late game felling going to be able to help put this out with regards to the total as well. So, did somebody total 147.5 at a 147 or less. Looking at the over. And with Memphis, made them a 7.5 point favorite. Going to be willing to lay the number. 851-852 is the DK Network right-up pick as you've got Maryland on the road facing off against Minnesota. Oh, Minnesota is anywhere between a 1.5 to a 2.5 point favorite. Total on this game is 135.5. Minnesota has covered the spread in all but one of their games thus far this season. It's always an interesting scenario. Do you step in front of the train? Do you ride the train? 
I am on Minnesota in this spot. I set them as a favorite of five and a half points. My write-up is for Minnesota to keep this going. And much of it is because this Maryland defense is nowhere near the same when they're on the road rather than when they are at home. You've got a Maryland team that they are going to lose a battle from the perimeter because you've got a Minnesota team that they're a good three-point shooting team. They're 55th in all of college basketball in terms of three-point shooting percentage. They go up against a Maryland team that does a good job of being able to run teams off the arc. They're allowing opponents to shoot just... 25.6% of their shots from three-point range from the floor when they're in a roadside shoot-to-court environment. That is a top-five mark in all of college basketball, but Maryland is 267th in the country with regards to that three-point shooting defense, allowing opponents to shoot north of 35% from the outside. That's an issue. Going up against a Minnesota team that's relatively balanced. They're about 131st in the country in terms of percentage of points that come from made threes, so they're not really heavy on one side or the other. And for Maryland, they're shooting 23.6% from three-point range when they're away from home. That is 351st in all of college basketball. And really, the X factor here for Minnesota, that has been Elijah Hawkins. While your top scorer is Dawson Garcia, who's been awesome. He's been able to give you 17 points, chips in there, 6-plus rebounds at six foot eleven. He's able to pop threes, but Frockins, he led Division I players that qualified in terms of turnovers per game with north of four last year while he was over at Howard. He's now number two in the country in terms of assists per game with 7.7, chips in there, eight and a half points, just 2.6 turnovers per game this season. He has been tremendous at the point guard spot. You've got a Golden Gophers team that has a lot of guys that they're sort of in reserve roles. They're sort of the backup singers, as I like to call them, but they've all been able to fill their role very, very well. You've got someone like a Joseph, a la Joseph, who's been able to do just enough to be able to up up this team as he's been able to contribute about 10.5 points per contest. Mike Mitchell, who comes over from Pepperdine, shoots 42% from three-point range for a Minnesota team that they do turn the ball for 12.5 times per game. Maryland, good at being able to force turnovers, but for Maryland, it's Jameer Young in the backcourt and not much else. 20 points, 4 assists, seal and half, shoots 35% from three-point range. You've got one other player on the roster averaging north of 2.5 points per game that shoots above 26.5% from three-point range. That'd be Dante Scott, who's been able to give you 10 points, 5 rebounds per contest. This is also a Maryland team that they've only got two guys on the roster giving you north of 4.6 rebounds per game. I was expecting much more out of Sean Aaron-Smith. 7.5 points, 4.5 boards, 2.5 assists as a freshman, but right now just not able to hit threes to save their lives. It's a goal and goal for a team that as well is in the top 50 nationally. There's points a lot on a per possession basis, and Maryland just has not traveled. They are averaging 25.3 points fewer per one hour possessions with their offense when they are on the road rather than at home, so it sees a very dramatic drop-off. As a matter of fact, they are 335th in the country in terms of points scored on a per possession basis when they are away from home as well. I do think that Minnesota, a team that has also had their big home and roads, was giving up 27.9 points fewer per one hour possessions at home rather than on the road. They get it done in the barn, a very, very good environment. We remember that year in which you had like Gonzaga and Baylor as one and two in all of college basketball. The number three most efficient team was Minnesota at the barn. They couldn't play on the road, but at home they were absolutely tremendous. And I do think that the Big Ten home teams keep on firing them up. They're going to continue to make you money. And I do think that Minnesota keeps this against a spread run going. I did set my total 135 and a half. I do think that this is going to be a game that's going to be just close enough for late game falling. So at a 135, we're seeing an opener of 134 and a half. Looking at the over with the way the Minnesota's popping it from three. Am I right up? That is going to be on Minnesota laying this number. Last game on the normal Las Vegas betting board before we get our one extra game. 853-854. It is Northwestern playing up to Michigan State. You've got Northwestern as an underdog of two and a half points. So 
balanced game between 133 and a half and 135. I did say Michigan State as a three and a half point favorite. I'm going to be one to lay the number. It's a Northwestern team that's fallen on some tough times ever since taking that loss to Chicago State. Still a relatively solid defense. Still a team that ranks in the top 50 nationally in terms of turnovers forced on a per possession basis, but now they go up against a Michigan State team that really doesn't get out of sorts with the ball. You've got a primary score in Ty Walker has been tremendous with 20 points, three assists, two steals on nearly 40% three-point shooting in Michigan State. I do feel like them being a top five team in college basketball in terms of three-point shooting percentage a season ago was a little bit of fool's gold, but you knew that they weren't as bad as they were to begin the season. Now it's up to 35% three-point shooting with Trey Hallman being a big reason why. Three and a half assists, six points on 42% three-point shooting. A.J. Hogarth continues to be efficient with the ball. Five assists to right around two turnovers per game. And Northwestern is now falling outside the top 100 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis after a tremendous start to the season. And this team still has given up 63 points or fewer in three of the last four games, but the teams in which they have held down Jackson State, DePaul, and Arizona State. Not necessarily world beaters when it comes to offense, so that's something to take a look at, but they're just going to have a tough time on the glass. Not that Michigan State is necessarily getting the world's greatest production out of Mandy Sissoko, but right now for Northwestern, you got one guy on the roster that gives you north of 3.7 rebounds per game. That would be Brooks Barnizer, and I like his game. 13 points, 7.5 rebounds per game. You know that Northwestern is going to do a relatively solid job in terms of not turning the ball over. Boo Booey has been able to give you 17 points, 4 plus assists. This Northwestern team always in the top 20. There's a few turnovers on a per-possession basis, but at home, Northwestern allowing opponents to shoot 35.5% from three-point range overall for the season in terms of both home and road numbers. They're about 240th in the nation with that regard. This is a Michigan State team that they've been able to do a relatively solid job with regards to their three-point shooting defense as they are 28th in all of college basketball with this regard. And for Michigan State, even though they don't necessarily have ideal size, they are going to be able to take it to this Northwestern team on the glass. You've had Ty Berry be able to give you about three and a half rebounds, 11 points per contest to be able to help out a little bit, but Northwestern is outside the top 250 in terms of rebound rate at home. Meanwhile, you've got a Michigan State team that they're clocking in more around 91st in the country, so not like they're world beaters, but at the same time, they're relatively solid. You have had Ryan Langbord do a solid job, helping out a Northwestern team, in which each of your top three scorers, Barnizer, Boo Booey, Lance Ryan Langbord, they all do give you at least 2.8 assists per contest. He's been able to contribute 12 and a half points per game, but the team outside of their main starting five, not getting contributions really from anyone else. I do think that that depth of Michigan State and this Michigan State team just playing with a different swagger, giving up 64 points or fewer in four of their last five games while scoring 79 plus points in each other last five. They're just getting to a different level and this is a Northwestern team that has had a tough time scoring recently as well, 66 points or fewer in three of their last four games. So I'm going to be one to lay it with Michigan State. Did semi-total 131F. I think that this is going to be a slow, grimy game. So taking the under and one to lay it with Michigan State. Now we get our low and extra game. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. I think we need a sounder for when there's only one extra game, because I just don't have one at my disposal, but that's at 306-581-306-582. Utah plays us at Chicago State. Chicago State, a 9.5 to a 10-point underdog. Totals between 130.5 and 131.5. I did set my line at 8. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Chicago State. This is a UTEP team that ranks in the top 20 nationally in terms of turnovers force on a per-possession basis, and for Chicago State, that is going to be an issue for them, because this is a Chicago State squad that they are turning the ball over north of 14 times for contest, but Chicago State is also in the top 50 in terms of turnovers for us on a per possession basis, and UTEP turns the ball over north of 14 times for contest as well. So I do think that this is going to be turning into a little bit of an eyesore. It's going to turn into a slog, so I'm going to be looking at the under. I did set my total at a 130, and I do think that you've got two really good scores in this game. Tay Hardy for UTEP is able to shoot darn near 
40% from three, chips in there north of three and a half assists, 15 plus points per contest, but Wesley Carden, 18 points, four and a half boards. He shoots about 34% from three-point range. He does turn the ball for three times for contest, but he's been able to do a relatively solid job for a Chicago State team that has been able to have few ancillary pieces like a Brent Davis, like a Noble Crawford, be able to be those guys that really generate those seals between the two of them. Davis and Crawford, 4.1 seals per contest. Crawford comes in from LIU, stands right around 6'5", shooting 38% from three-point range. Davis only shoots about 26.5% from distance and for Chicago State, they only shoot as a collective about 28.5% from three-point range. UTEP, they shoot 28.4% from three-point range. These two teams are sort of mirror images of each other even though UTEP does play a little bit more up-tempo and UTEP does have Kevin Kalu down low say we give you 5.6 boards per contest but you really have only two guys on this UTEP team that do give you north of four rebounds per game. The other is Zed Boom Boom Powell 11.5 points, five boards per contest which is why I do think that Jay Sean Corbett for the Chicago State team being able to supply seven boards, 13.5 points per game is really going to be able to shine. Both of these teams they certainly do hang their hat on defense. Both of these teams certainly do have their issues on offense and both of these teams have their issues down low as well. This is a UTEP team that's 277th in all of college basketball in terms of rebound rate and Despite playing a very difficult schedule, Chicago State, they're right there as well, about 294. So I do think that for Chicago State, they're not going to be able to win this game outright on the road. But I think that these two teams have a lot of similarities and trying to lay double figures slash nine and a half in the spot, I think it's just a little bit too rich. I set my line at eight, going to be one take the points with Chicago State, set my total 130. So also looking at the under, and that will wrap things up. For the Sunday edition of Coast to Coast Hoops, now part of the Visa Family Podcast, big thanks to Rob Donaldson. Does a great job with his show, The Rob's Best Vet Show. He joined me in the last segment. If you do like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Hoops, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, do have one of two ways via for those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at GN underscore D1. Keep in mind, Larry ZM, they mean does not matter, size per usual. Please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire on whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five star review. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season. That means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.